Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. So we're going to start reading here just a moment in, in, in verse 25. And, and what we're looking at in, in these verses of Paul is we've talked about family reunion as we've looked at unity of the body of Christ. This is going to kind of be that the, the last words from a, from a godly parent, if we can look at it this way, from a godly parent to his godly children. And so Paul planted the church at Ephesus. And so you see this, this loving care from, from this, this, this spiritual father to his children as he's been building all of these. And then as we looked at last week, now that you are in Christ, Paul's going to give us a, a powerful word at the very beginning of verse 25, therefore. So let's kind of pause there for just a second. Because this is who you are in Christ, because this is what Christ has saved you for, therefore, let these be some of these markings, what we had seen last Last week was that we were to, to walk in the, in the newness of life with, with who we are in, in Christ. This is to be. And so Paul gives us some markers. Now, I want to say this. So we're going to look at five things that we're to avoid. We're going to look at some negatives and then turn them to a positive of what we should see in our life. And this is by no means an all-encompassing list that we check these boxes we've done. We move on from that. But, but my hope for us this morning is, is it's an evaluation. It, it, it's us asking the Holy Spirit to to open up and to reveal who we are, to kind of see where these things align in our life and to see where we're moving forward. And so as Paul's wrapping up this this letter, as he's moving to the end of his argument, these are what we're going to see of these markings that are there. And so let's restart in verse 25 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up as fits the occasion." that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So like I said, we're going to look at five behaviors. We're going to, we're going to list the, the negatives, and then at the end of this, we're going to see what the, the positives. So this is what we're not to be, what we're not to do, and instead, this is who we are to be. This is what we are to do. And so the first one that Paul gives us is lying, lying. Ephesians 4, 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So let's take a moment, right, and, and let's define lying for a second. Like, well, I know what lying is. Well, I know what lying is too. But sometimes it's a good reminder for me in my life to make sure that my standard is, is God's standard. 
that my standard is what I need to, 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 to remove and what I need to put in place is God's standard for my life. Because I'm gonna be honest with you, and, and if you're like me, and you probably are, like, like what I like to do sinfully in my life is remove God's standard and insert mine because I can crush my standard. I can crush it. But my, I'm not God, and I'm not the standard he is. And so let's take a minute and just, just define this. And so to, to, to lie is, is to, give a, to give a statement or to give an intent of purpose that is given with fact, and this is important, with intent to sinfully deceive, elevating yourself over others. And so Paul says that within the congregation, within the, within the body, there's no place in this. There's no place in that this is who we are. And there may be no greater uh, display of the power of the effect of your testimony in a lost world where God sends you, where you live, where you work, and where you play than the words that we choose to come out of our mouths and the intent in which they hold. What are you known for? Are you known to be a liar? Are you known to be a manipulator? Are you known to be one who bends the truth for your own selfish gain? And what we see is that this can alienate us from the will of God for our life. And here's what you and I have to understand when it comes to truth and lying. Always, always God is a God of what? God is a God of truth. And always what? Satan aligns himself with lies. So when we embrace lies, what are we embracing? When we embrace lies, what are we portraying? What are we displaying to the world? We're aligning ourselves with Satan, that what marks him is now what marks us. But Paul's just told us, therefore, because of who we are in who? In him. A reflection of his character. A reflection of who he is to put these things away. I want you to go all the way back to the garden, right? Go all the way back to where sin entered the world. What did God do with Adam and Eve? He gave them truth. God says to them, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And it wasn't just like what we do sometimes, right? As parents, like, don't do that. Well, 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 why? Because I said so. God says, don't do that, and let me give you the reason. If you do that, you will surely die. And then Satan steps in. And then Satan, the one who, who looks to, to bend and to manip, manipulate. Satan, the, the father and the orchestrator of lies, comes in and says, did, did, did he really mean that? Did, did he really mean that? You won't die. And then in taking the partial truth and bending it to fit the narrative, right? Satan goes, no, 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 what will, what will happen is your, your eyes will be, will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. And here's the thing. In the law, he was, he was right. And in the partial truth of what he gave, he sought to deceive Adam and Eve. Their eyes were open, and sin and death entered into the world. And this is where we see from the very beginning. Satan, the father of lies, and God is 
truth. And so Paul comes and says, therefore, having put away falsehood, this is not who you are anymore. This is not what you are about. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. What we stand on, what we resonate with. We, we, we talked about this several weeks ago, that when it comes to the truth that you and I can cling to, it's not based through our opinions. It's not based through our perspectives. It's not based through our narrative, but it's based through the perspective and the narrative of God, of, of who he is and in his righteousness. So what I have, I've got a bunch of opinions, right? I've got a bunch of them. But this is truth and who he is and who he's called us to be. And so he tells us, here's what we do amongst each other. Here's what we do out with our neighbors. Here's what we do within the body and outside of the body, right? We had it earlier. We speak truth and love. Speak truth and love. As I was going through this, this, this week, I thought a lot about well, what does that look like in my life? How, how can I take this and apply? What does it mean to be a person of truth? What does it mean that what I'm going to speak comes from who I am? And I came with these reminders of what God's given me, these reminders that have helped me this week, that number one, that what I seek is not to be right, but what I seek is truth. That what I seek is truth. But that's the hope that I have of every moment of every day to seek the truth of God. And then this is going to be key. When I find truth, when I see truth, when I read truth, then I need to surrender to truth. You know, sometimes that's what we don't want to do. Well, I know what I need to do, but I want to do what I want to do, right? I know what is right. I know what is true, but oftentimes I want to pursue other things. And so not only do I need to seek the truth, but I need to surrender to the truth. And then it doesn't end there as if we speak truth in love, we proclaim the truth. We proclaim the truth. You and I called to be the messengers of God and that the truth is proclaimed. The second one that we see in this narrative is Paul deals with anger. Anger, chapter, uh, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, here's what I think is really interesting, right? Let's look at these first six words, right? Be angry and do not sin, right? Well, well if we're trying to eliminate anger, but, but right here it says be angry. So let's, let's talk about this for a minute. There is cause in our world for being angry. And there is angry that is righteous, God exhibits and God is oftentimes what is called holy anger. In the Old Testament, you'll oftentimes see the phrase, and the anger of the Lord. Did God sin? No, God did not sin. God in his anger continued to be righteous, holy, perfect, because it's who he is. When we see in the New Testament in Jesus, Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus cleanses, when Jesus clears the temple, where that is coming from within him is a sense of righteous anger, holy anger, because the sin of what's offended to God, and that's what is motivating him in his actions. But you and I have to understand the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. To say that you and I should never be angry about anything is not biblical. There are things in this world, things that we experience, things that we walk through where our right response before the Lord is anger, but what we do with that matters greatly. 
What that does in our hearts matters dearly of what it means to be angry. Angry. I read this this week, and I wanted to share this with you, and it rings true so much in my life. Anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way is not easy. Anyone can become angry, but to handle it in the right way to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way is not easy. So what does this look like biblically? What does this look like for your life and mine? What does this look like when anger begins to well up inside of us? What do we do in that with righteous anger? And Psalm 9710 tells us that we love the Lord and we hate evil. We love the Lord and we hate evil. So here's the question that I want to ask you. When we become angry, when I become angry, when, when you become angry, what becomes our target? Where do we put our crosshairs? What are we aiming at in that moment? The Bible's clear. What do we hate? We hate evil. And so what we see in our life is therefore evil and sin is the target. What was the biggest criticism of Jesus amongst the Pharisees? What was it? He ate, he hung out, he fellowshiped with sinners. He knew what they did. He knew what they caused. He knew what their tomorrow was going to be like. He knew of the deceit that filled them. But what did he do? He loved them. And he loved them. And he loved them. And I love this. Because what Jesus does, what the Bible says to us, is love people and hate sin. And hate sin. Jesus in his own words. And I want to be honest with you. I think right now in a world that more so than any other world that I've or time that I've ever known is a pick-a-side culture. And this side is right and this side is wrong, wherever side you find yourself on. In Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then in that, watch the righteous anger that you have of sin be dealt with in the sovereignty and the power of God. The third thing that he mentions Paul does here is stealing. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, so stealing is taking of what is not yours, not only physical, but when we, when we think of credit, when we think of glory, when we think of the story, when we think of all of this. And what we find within here is that when we steal, what we're missing from is, is, what, is what is void of our life is the generosity of the character and the nature of God. I, I want you to look back all the way back to, let's jump back to, to Genesis again. What does God do? God creates 
and then God gives. And what is beautiful about the Lord is that when God gives, God gives generously generously. Everything in this world, you know this and I know this, who does it belong to? It belongs to the Lord. Everything that is yours is his. Everything that is mine is his. And so God gives to you, God gives to me, and then he calls us to be stewards of that, to use what he has given us for his name and for his glory. This is the very nature of God. God is overly generous to you and to me with everything of who he is and what he gives and what he blesses with. God is generous and he is generous and he is generous. Like even in his very nature, God doesn't say, well, I'm gonna give you what you can have and I'm gonna keep for me what is mine. God says, no, 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 no. that's not in my generosity. That's not in who I am. So in generosity, I'm gonna overflow onto you and then I'm gonna call you for your good and for your benefit and for my glory to be a steward of that, to use it all for my name and for my glory. And that's why God doesn't come into your paycheck and say, before you get it, this is mine, right? The government does that. God doesn't do that, right? God doesn't do that. What does God do? I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it, and then you give back. And then you give back. And that's that way with everything in your life. Your home is the mark of the generosity of God. The gifts and the talents that you have is the mark of the generosity of God. That everything that you have been blessed with is the mark of the generosity of God. And then God says, and then with all of it, be a steward and return to me. So God gives, and God gives generously. But what does Satan do? He takes. He takes. John 10, 10. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? What does it begin with? He seeks to take what is not his, to take what has not been given to him, to take what he has not been given credit for, and that's what marks him. And so Paul says, but we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received, reflective of the one who has saved us. And so we're to be like him. So the opposite of stealing, that what we're driving to is not simply not taking something, right? Like every Sunday, I come in here, usually before you get here for our family time together, and I set my iPad over here, right? Now, just walking by and not taking that doesn't mean we're good, right? Oh man, I crushed that one today. I left Bo's iPad again, right? Like, that's not it. That's not it. That's not the character and the nature of this because, because Paul continues to go on. He doesn't say, hey, don't steal, leave that alone. What does he do? He says, but rather let him labor. So the opposite of stealing is working. Go work, go get out, go, God works, right? At the very beginning of what we see in Genesis, God is a working God creating and cultivating. And so God gets out and works, and then he plants Adam and Eve in the garden, and what does he, what does he do with them? It, this isn't a vacation for them. God says, go and work. And so right here, Paul says, no, no, when we look at the opposite, to walk in a manner worthy of the God's calling, it is working. And so to be the opposite of this begins with you and I cultivating. 
for a reason and for a purpose. So that from our working, from our cultivating, from our creating, and, 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 and we can define that a million different ways, all right? What comes from that, what comes from the honest work of our hands is so that we may have something to share with those who are in need, right? So you may say you're not stealing, but let me ask you this question. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, the way that Paul defines this, the way that God sets in his scripture, is to be generous. To be generous. To live a life that is marked by this. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so important? Let me ask you, we've talked about this. How, how do you want God to treat you? Open-handed or closed-fisted? I, I know for me what I want. I, I want open-handed God. I want the blessings of the Lord. They are good. They are new. They are fresh. And I want God to overflow that on me. I don't want God to give me what I deserve. I want God to be generous with me. So then how do we live with others? Do we live close-fisted? Probably so. Probably so. And the generosity of the Lord lacks. So are you leaving the iPad alone? Am I leaving the iPad alone? Probably. But are we living lives of generosity? I've shared this story before. I'm going to share it again, and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, uh, as, as daughters can do one time, um, Emma hurt my feelings deeply, right? Um, if you've got a daughter, you may know what I mean by that. Um, but she hurt my feelings deeply. Uh, we were sitting, um, I was taking her to dance one day, and we were at an inter- intersection coming off the, the interstate. And there was a, uh, a person who was standing there with their, with their, with their sign, and they were, they were holding their sign. And um, it, it said a lot of things uh, of, of kind of where they had gotten to in life and why they were standing there and different things. But, but the point was that they needed some money. And Emma's sitting there beside me. And she noticed what I did, which I thought was being pretty, pretty, pretty shrewd, pretty, pretty, pretty wise. And, and, and you've probably done this before, Right. If I don't look at them, they won't see me, right? So I became the most busy man at that intersection, right? Like, it's time to pray. It's time to do something because if I make eye contact, right, because I can feel them staring at me. Now, in my truck, like many of you, right, I got a big uh, thing of change right in the middle. Maybe you don't do that. Maybe that's just me. But I got a big thing of change. Remember downtown, I got quarters, all right? So I got that sitting right there. And, and, and we pull off, and Emma said, Daddy, why didn't you help that man? And I gave a very earthly, wise answer. Well, sweetie, you don't know what he was going to do with that money. And she said, I know, and you don't either. (laughs) She wins, right? (laughs) I stole because I wasn't generous. Can we, can we trust that God's going to take care of what God's going to take care of and he didn't make us God to take care of that? And instead, can we be generous? Can we be generous? I heard a pastor say one time, let God sort out all the crooks and let my pockets be empty due to the generosity. Right? Let God take care of it. Next is corrupt speech. Paul writes in verse 29, let no corrupting talk 
come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If you've read through the Bible, right, there's a great connection between the mouth and the heart. Matthew 12, 34 says that from the mouth, the heart speaks. Paul in, in, in Romans connects the mouth to salvation. This, this is key. This is important. I, I read this the, the, this week. It was mind-blowing of, of, of the connection of, of what Paul does. In, in Romans 3, Paul says sinners, so defining them by their sin, not defined by Christ, that they are lost, that they are lost in who they are, they are separated and removed from God. He says the mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and that their mouths are stopped before the throne of God, that God will not listen to them because of who they are because of who they are. So what comes, what is in them comes from them, and God says, nope, it is stopped before the throne of God. But then as Paul continues on in Romans, there's a change that happens. There's a change that takes place in the person, and they are no longer the sinner, but they're the saint. And in Romans 10, where we begin to see this change with, with the mouth, Paul says this, Romans 10, that the saved person It's no longer cursing and bitterness, but that the saved person confesses that Jesus is Lord. And then in Romans 15, the saved person's mouth is opened to praise God. And it's what he hears. So theologically speaking, there is the connection in who you are to what you say, to what we've embodied, to every part of who we are. What comes out of your mouth And what comes out of mine is the direct connection with who we are in Christ. And that biblically, when the heart is changed through the power of the resurrection, when the heart is changed through the saving work of Christ, then our speech is changed as well. And so Paul says, let there be no corrupting talk come from your mouth. I thought this was, this is pretty neat. That that word corrupt here, all right? We hear the word corrupt, and we, we, think of, we think of politicians, right? We think of corruption that's taking place. We think of shady business deals. But that's not at all what, what Paul was communicating here. The word corrupt that Paul uses is the word that would be used to describe rotten fruit. So he says, let no rotten fruit talk come from your mouth. So I want you to think about this. Like, have you ever gone to the store and, and, like, and like bought some... Some, some fruit, and, and then you go home and, and, and you put it away, and the next day you think, you're like, man, I really would like a, like a peach. Like, let's say you bought some peaches, right? And you're like, man, I really would love to get a peach. And so you go over to that fruit that you just bought the day before, and you grab that, that piece that's sitting on the top, and it looks good and ripe and ready, and then you turn it over, and it's just mush, and like the flies come off of it. You know, not, anybody ever had that happen, or, or just me, right? Like, like we've had that happen. What, what do you do with that piece of fruit? Throw it away. Throw it away. Why? Because it's worthless. It's worthless and decaying and filled with death. We're not going to consume that. So we discard it. And Paul says, that's the kind of speech that does not need to come from our mouths. So instead, he says, take out that of corruption, take that of worthlessness, take that of decaying, take that of death, and instead replace it with words of life, with words of hope, with words of meaning, 
with words of truth. The simple words that we're to see of how we're to interact with one another is to simply be an encourager, right? How many of you, you know of someone who every time you see them, you just enjoy being around them, right? Because of the love that they show you and the encouragement that they give you, right? Is that what people feel when you walk into a room about you? Right? Is that the positioning of who we are? Is that the words that are expected to fill up and to glorify? Is that what's there? And then lastly, bitterness. Bitterness. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to be careful the statement that I'm about to make that you let me kind of walk this out a little bit, okay, with you this morning. Bitterness begins in being victimized. And I, I want to pause for a moment on that because no one wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be victimized today. I want to open myself up and allow myself to be hurt and mistreated and abused by others. No one decides and chooses this for themselves. I've got a son and a daughter and a wife who I love dearly, and I will do all that I can to, to prevent them from being a victim. But the truth is, everyone in this room at some point in time, or even currently right now, is a victim. And what you're doing spiritually within that, what you're doing in that moment of that hurt that's been done to you, that what's been said about you is going to root and base of what's going to come from this in your life. And if we're not careful what happens in these moments, what comes from this is bitterness. What's going to come from this moment is hurt and pain that's going to continue and hold on in your life. And that's what bitterness is. Something has been done to me. And we've been there. We've seen this. I've sat in my office and listened to men, women, and children cry and saying, I didn't choose this, and this is what has happened. And God hears your heart and overflows his compassion and his love on you. And we as the body of Christ, our response to you in that needs to be love and, and, and acceptance and encouragement and walking alongside you so you do not have to carry that on your own so that we can work through healing together. But removed from the calling and the character and the nature of Christ, when you and I are victimized, when not dealt with the way that God calls us to, bitterness begins to take root in our lives and begins to build and build and build. And Paul gives us the formula, right? He says bitterness, here's what, here's what happens. Bitterness is going to, lead, going to lead to wrath, right? Wrath. 
that, that, that feeling when you're, when you're sitting there by yourself and what's been done becomes to come over and prayer doesn't invade those, those spaces, not the Lord, but, but what you begin to feel within yourself is a boiling of hatred within you, right? And then he says what, what happens to wrath is, is wrath leads to anger. And you're like, well, what's the difference? Well, if you, can, if you can think about like boiling water on your stove, all right, the, the, the wrath that is there are those couple little bubbles that, that are going on. But, but when anger begins to build is when the, when the pot begins to almost boil over and overflow. And like, like you and I are walking around and waiting for the moment for somebody to take the needle and hit the balloon and watch it explode. And when bitterness isn't dealt with, it becomes wrath, which leads to anger, which is here where we find ourselves, which leads to clamor, which is the outburst. It's the action of all that's been done. It's the action of all that's been there. And now hurt has been given, and now hurt is going to take place, which leads from clamor to malice, the intent to do evil and so here's the vicious cycle that is found in this world that the one who was victimized becomes the one who victimizes others when bitterness isn't dealt with when bitterness isn't worked toward and so Paul gives a very clear but difficult answer what are we to do with it what are we to do and this could probably be a sermon series Paul gives this one sentence be kind to one another. Be kind. Understand that we're the body of Christ. The hand doesn't get mad at the hand and take it out on the hand because it understands that we're together. To be tender-hearted means to be gentle and to be filled with compassion. To understand that the, as, as I acknowledge that I'm not God, that I understand that you're not God either which means that you aren't all knowing, that you aren't all powerful, right? That we understand that. So I'm tenderhearted to those who may not know and who may not understand. And then the last and probably the hardest, forgiving one another. Now forgiving is, is really hard, really hard. If holding a grudge were an Olympic sport, I would probably be Michael Phelps, all right? I get it. I get it. But God says, forgive one another. And then he set the standard. As God in Christ forgave you, and you, and you, and me. And how does God forgive us? Over and over and over again. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've received. To walk in a manner that glorifies God. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.